Kylian Mbappe is back. Didn't think we'd say that. Mauricio Pochettino is gone. Did think we'd say that. And PSG are again dreaming of Champions League triumph. Could this be the year? Could this be it? Stop me if you've heard that question before. Uh, that's what's coming up on this episode of the Tactics Room. Folks, ladies, gentlemen, welcome back. Welcome back to the Tactics Room. I'm your host, Will Fowler. How long has it been? Genuine question. How long has it been since we've since we've had a chance to sit down and discuss discuss the world's game? Too long, I would say. I would venture as far to say it's been far too long. Didn't forget about you. Didn't forget about you. Hope you didn't forget about me. I've just been off on a summer break, resting the legs, taking some time, getting ready for uh, for the new season, as has most in, in the world. But season two of the Tactics Room. What a world. Let's uh, let's kick things off. Season two, episode one. Today, uh, we've got a fun episode for you, and I think it's a very fitting way to kick off what is the latest and greatest season of Breaking the Lines content. We're chatting about everything under the sun regarding PSG and what they've done this summer. And I know, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking to yourself. You're saying something along the lines of, we'll talk about something else, Lego related. Stop talking about PSG. Be original. Talk about a better storyline. I promise you, there's some real fascinating headlines here that we'll dissect. And I know PSG, when we're discussing this league, it's low-hanging fruit. It's the easy club to talk about. It is what it is. But we're not talking about PSG just for SNGs. We're talking about PSG because we need to talk about PSG before this season really kicks off. I didn't do it alone, though, today for this conversation. I welcomed on BTL's own Jeremy Magan, hope of the Casalalinia podcast, our French football encyclopedia. Uh, the podcast is the French football encyclopedia, but Jeremy is a French football walking encyclopedia. Uh, we chatted about the Mbappe saga, how that will unfold on the pitch. Spoiler alert, we've already seen some ways in which it has unfolded against Montpellier over the weekend. Some drama potentially unfolding in the capital, as well as uh, the rather unorthodox nature of their Christopher Galtier signing. Unorthodox because it was smart, and that is not typical uh, PSG business doing, so that deserves a conversation. Uh, as well as what appears to be a new and improved transfer strategy that doesn't involve just going and signing the shiniest object available to enormous wages and then hoping that it works. Uh, this chat was a lot of fun. I had so much fun doing this this uh, this episode. Jeremy, if you're listening, thank you again for coming on and chatting for a bit. We'll be sure to do it again soon. For the rest of you, here's my chat with Jeremy McGon. Season 2, Episode 1 of The Tactics Room. My name is Will Fowler. Joined, so thankful to be joined by... BTL's host, Jeremy Megan. Jeremy, a League on Expert, our BTL uh, podcast world, League on Expert host of the Casa de Linea podcast. Jeremy, I know we've, like, this is going to sound like it's a high and welcome. We've been chatting for the last hour and a half <laughs> about everything under the sun, and we only just now hit record. Um, but I'll say it again now that people are listening. Uh, thank you so much for jumping on. Really excited to have you. This is a chat that I've been meaning to have for a few weeks now about uh, this PSG evolution over the last three or three or four months. Um, really, really excited. I know though you are a fan of PSG's biggest rival, Olympique de Marseille. How is that going to work? Are we going to? Is this going to be? Is going to escalate? Is this going to get contentious? Are we going to? Are we going to be able to knock this out? Knock this out uh, 
neutrally? How, how is this going to pan out? Thanks for having me first, Will. Uh, I love the, the podcast Active Room and I'm, and I'm glad to be in there. Uh, I'll, say, I'll say that I'm objective enough to enjoy what's going on in <laughs> France. And at the end of the pod, I'll make sure that I mention that whatever Paris does this season, they'll do it under a coach that is born in Marseille. So we're okay. Mm. They can win. They can win. They won't because somebody from Marseille took over. I'll say it at the beginning <laughs> and I'll say it at the end of the pod. And in the middle, we can talk about PSG only. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's fair. I think that, that's it's a fair a fair trade to make. I think. Um, let Let's jump in and, and chat PSG because it's been and I know we we chatted about this a little bit. PSG whenever whenever we're discussing the the French league, whenever we're discussing Liga, and we're looking for a talking point. It almost feels like PSG is such low hanging fruit in the sense that there's always going to be something to say about them, whether it's good or more frequently, whether it's bad, there's always going to be some topic to discuss about about this this giant club sitting in, in the heart of the capital. And it feels almost as if it's a little bit of a cop-out talking about this club and leaving out others. But I think, and we, we spoke about this, this PSG, there are some real fascinating talking points that have evolved over the last three or four months that really deserve to be, to be dived into and, and discussed. And I think when we chat about PSG, the big one, Right off the top, like like we'll we'll go chronologically. I think is the easiest way to to knock out this this discussion. This is a PSG side that obviously are no stranger to spending money, no stranger to making big headlines, no stranger to doing things that literally every couple on the planet would look at and go, "Why did they do that?" Because there's they're just that's just the way they operate. That's the way they think, um, and they did that right off the bat this summer, didn't they? With with their their star boy, with their their homegrown Kylian Mbappe, essentially saying. Here, take a key to the city with with the contract that they gave him. Of course, he was being linked with with Real Madrid, um, and he was like ninety nine point nine percent of the way to Real Madrid. And then all of a sudden, we hear, just kidding, he's he's staying in the capital. Um, that contract to to remind listeners of that ridiculous deal that he got, uh, and to the, to the point of the PSG do things that every other club looks at and scoffs at. 300 million euro signing bonus, 100 million euros uh, every year for the next three years. Um, by far, the the biggest contract in football. I have not fact-checked. I don't think there's any contract that's going to come close. I'm pretty safe in making that assumption. Um, along with these front office powers, ability to have an influence in transfer doings, ability to have an influence in, in managerial signings. I want to get your opinion when you saw that news drop, because not only is that something that literally only PSG can do in today's football landscape, but also it seemed like when that happened, it was PSG heading down that same track of, if you want to keep, to, to continue this image of we are the rich, we are the glamorous club in Europe, we have to do this to keep to keep Kylian Mbappe happy and to keep him in, in the, the Parisian blue and red. So I want to get your initial take, not just as a fan of a rival club, but as a fan of this league in general and of European football. What, what did you think when you saw this contract handed out to Kylian Mbappe? I think th- there's two things. First, it's, it's great that they keep Kylian Mbappe. Like there's no, there's no question about it. He's about to be, if he keeps playing the way he plays between him and Haaland, we have the two best players of in the world for the next five, six, seven, maybe ten years. So it, it's awesome that they were able to keep him despite not going to another club. In in France, the the sentiment was a little bit: if he wants to become the player that he says he wants to become, which is he he, he says he's very ambitious. He says I want to be the best player in the world. I want to have all the records. We thought you got to go to a bigger club. You got to go to a club 
where you're not going to be more important than the institution. Real Madrid was the perfect example. Anyone can sign at Real Madrid. They are not going to be more important than La Casablanca. But if you go to Paris and if you're Mbappé, chances are you're more important than the club. And they, that's exactly what they did when they say that that's what the contract that was signed. It's a bit, you know, I think there was a little bit of fantasy about what exactly is in the contract. The, the money is definitely there. But with all the front office power, etc., you would think that even himself, if you're serious about your career, you don't want that. You don't have time for that. Right. You need to be you need to be focusing on playing your football. You can't make some decisions that that are that you, you're completely unaware of, that you don't understand the dynamics of, etc. So I think maybe they told him this, and then they said, "But hey, Luis Campos is there, and he's going to do his work." The word in France as well was when he was convinced to stay. Supposedly, that was under the impression that Zidane was his next coach, and then mm -hmm. Zidane is the first guy that said no to. Qatar and Qatar threw whatever they could and they still couldn't have him. So so eventually, I think the campus, and we'll go on there later, Galchi thing, probably changed anyway what role Mbappé was supposed to have because all of a sudden, now the club is more important than any player when you have that kind of structure around. So hopefully, that'll help ground him because for however good he is, there's a, there's a growing issue with Mbappé looking like or maybe maybe communicating in a way that sounds a bit arrogant that sounds a bit um trying to be out of his depth instead of just focusing on being the best football player in the world don't worry about anything else just play football show us that you're the best and that's what he'll be recognized for there's a bit of of issue with him trying to do something else and when the contract was signed there was a bit of that the first answer was awesome he stays let this kid needs to be calmed down he doesn't need to be pumped up so that's why Real Madrid, we thought as French fans, was the best thing that could happen because he would have become, you know, what he wants to become and he would have been great for Real Madrid and for the French national team as well. And, and I think that that's an important distinction to make as well is understanding that there were two sides to that coin. And depending on, on what shade glasses you were wearing, it was either very, very good or very, very bad or, or a little bit of both. Because on one hand, you're right, you're securing a player who is the hottest commodity in, in European football. He is the player that if you have the money to go and chase, you want to go and chase. And, and as you mentioned, Real Madrid did just that. Real Madrid will not shy away from, from a contract like that. They they know they know they've got the glamour and, and Kylian Mbappe over the last several years has not made it a secret that he's interested in playing for Real Madrid on the road eventually. I think maybe Florentino Perez, Real Madrid said when we want him, we can have him to an extent. Um and I think last summer was maybe the best opportunity for it, just given their aggression in the market and what Mbappe has spoken about regarding the club in the past. So securing him, securing his signature, securing his, 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 his services over the next three years was enormously crucial, but also on the other side. And this is the side that I think most people recognized when that deal dropped was this could really, really turn sour and go South because not only are you sending that same message of, of, money 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 we will find it if we don't have it we'll find it and we'll give it to you but also you're you're putting and as you mentioned you're putting so much stock into one player who still is just 20 21 22 years old this is not a man yet and this is obviously somebody who's very very skilled physically at the game of football but but mentally and emotionally and that's the point that i that i think you made that's really really important is it's 
we see it so many times, young players who get a, a, a big contract, get a big role early in their career, and they don't fully know how to, how to adapt or how to manage it. And I think a lot of people saw this contract and said, this is set up perfectly for that, for that to happen, to have this contract, especially in a team with names like Messi and Neymar in it, to receive the contract and for them to effectively say, you're the guy here in a team with one of the greatest players of all time and one of the greatest players of all time slash in the generation, you are, are the one that we're looking at. It's very easy to get, to get tied up in that. And, and to your point to, to, to potentially have, have things, things turn sour. But um, the, the first step along that, along that track was who, who was the next manager, obviously it was Mauricio Pochettino. PSG fans did not take, to to uh, we're not too receptive to to Mauricio Pochettino, particularly after uh, <laughs> three weeks. I think it took very very it took very little time for 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 Pochettino to to fall out of favor with the PSG fans. Um, and the next the, the first question was okay, well, who who is the coach? And you mentioned a name. You mentioned Zinedine Zidane. I think everybody and their mother would have said that's the guy. That's who it's going to be. Former French national team um, star, one of the greatest players of his generation. He's proven in the past with those Real Madrid sides that he knows how to manage big personalities. That's what he does best, I think, as a manager is taking those those big superstars and understanding how to corral them, how to turn them into, uh, uh, how to not allow them to get too big headed, how to turn them into a team dynamic. I think everyone said Zidane's the guy. And what PSG went and did is maybe the exact opposite with, with Christopher Gautier, the former uh, Saint-Étienne, the former Lille, the former Nice manager. Um, and one thing sticks out when I reached out to you about doing this interview, this interview, this podcast, the first thing you said back was it's so interesting because it's Gautier's first opportunity with real stars. And that's true. At, at spots that he's gone, he's he's, he's managed players who've, turned into stars he's managed players that he's developed and they've gone on to become stars but this is the first time that he's he's managed stars was that the first time that maybe we got a hint that okay potentially PSG are trying to do things differently even after shelling out this enormous contract of course Indian's dad said no to PSG it wasn't PSG choosing not to chase him but there were some sexier names, I think, in, in the manager market. They go for Christopher Gautier, not a sexy name, but somebody who has proven he can do it in Liga. Was that a sign for you that maybe things are starting to turn around? Yeah, and I think what happened in that exact moment was, if if I'm not mistaken, I was trying to find who else did that, but that was the first time in 10 years that someone said no to Qatar and to Paris. Mm-hmm. Because what Qatar does, and they did that with Mbappe this year, is they don't tell you, they don't ask you what you want, they give you what. That, that's how much money you can get. No, but I want to go to Real Madrid. Okay, twice as much money. No, but I want to go to Real Madrid. The car, a house for your mom, this and that, and this and that. And they did that to Zidane. And Zidane, he's, he's in bed with Qatar. He's already one of the ambassadors of the Qatar country. So... They wanted him. He said that he didn't want it because he wants to stay for the to keep the his job open to be able to coach the French national team. I'm fairly certain that the fact that he's such an icon and, and a living god in Marseille probably played somewhere there because if if he personally and I'm, I'm I know for a fact that he doesn't care too much about Marseille. His family is in Marseille, and the last thing that 
a guy like Zidane wants is that his family is impacted by a choice that he makes. He's not that kind of person. Um, so, so I think that played a little bit, but that's the first time that someone goes to Qatar and say, no, whatever you can offer me, I'm going to say, no, I'm going to go somewhere else. So in France, that has been seen as a failure a little bit from Qatar. And then from there, whoever would come would be felt as a rebound that is not going to be good enough. The only one that would have been good enough would have been a Conte maybe, or 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 maybe a Simeone. But again, that wouldn't have been what we want football-wise for Paris. So whoever would have come would have been a bad choice. The good choice, though, was Luis Campos. Because you get Luis Campos, now you're saying El Halaifi, which to most Paris fans and French fans is the issue with PSG, is El Halaifi, who doesn't understand the mechanism of football and who's got, he's got too many titles, he's at the ECA, he's at the French Federation, he's doing too many things to, to focus on his club running the right way. Putting a guy like Luis Campos, just as a counselor, supposedly, but sporting director, really, now all of a sudden, every decision made will make sense because Luis Campos can pick his coach. And if Zidane had come with Luis Campos, they would have been problematic, but he's not coming. Now you have Galche coming. Galche and Luis Campos get along well. Galche doesn't really care about recruiting. He just cares about having good players. Campos cares about recruiting and doing it well. All of a sudden, he gets along. If Galche says something, Luis Campos is going to back him up. So now the club looks like something a bit better. El Halaifi is taking a step back. In the past, you know, Tuchel, Pochettino, Emery, they're not bad coaches. They've proven before and after PSG, Pochettino not yet, but soon I'm sure, that they can win outside of Paris. But in Paris, there was this issue that if you bench Neymar, he calls El Halaifi and complains. If you don't play this player or if you don't do that way, they complain to the president and the president tell you, do what the player says. So, so now we see this shifting finally, and that's what PSG fans have been crying for, to, to have this shift. So Galchi comes in. It's the first time that he's being given the opportunity to coach a team of stars. And all of a sudden, the French fans realize that every single coach dreams of coaching Paris Saint-Germain, which is natural because you got talent talents behind your ears, beyond their ears, and you don't even need to worry about who's going to come in because everybody on the bench is as good as a starter in any other team in Liga. Uh, and he comes in, which is, in my opinion, even better, as somebody who's expected to fail. He's coming right. in and everybody's saying he, he can't manage those people. They are too big for him. That's, that's, exactly, that's exactly his style. He's a charismatic coach. He's a man manager as much as Zidane is a man manager. Galtier is a man manager. And he's a guy who's very good at alternating the, nice, the niceness, the, the little hug therapy, and the strict rules, and we do it that way and not that way. And, and that's exactly what he does. I mean, you know, I, I don't want to go too far on it, but on his very first um, interview, and when they asked him what he did when he came to Paris, he said, I just sat down and spoke to everyone, and I asked them what I want to do. And so he, he sat down and he spoke to Messi. Where do you want to play? Neymar, where do you want to play? Ramos, where do you want to play? How much do you want to play? Do you want to start straight away? Do you want to play every single game until the World Cup? Where do we rest you? And he just listened to them and created that bond. And all of a sudden, respect was born that way, which is, again, the, the, the right way to do things. It's surprising because everybody who follows Paris hasn't seen the right way to do things in years. Uh, but it's the right way to do things. And he's respecting them and they're respecting him. Uh, and it's it's early days, you know, we need to put what we see now in, in perspective, but it's good early days. Better to have early days where you score 10 goals in two games than, than early days where you, uh, you lose 
uh, from from Yusuke on Game Over. Yeah, and, and a lot lot of lot of good points in that in that that Gautier bit. Um, I think my my the big thing that I'm I'm interested in is, and you said it. It's almost like he came in as a, a, a to the public a consensus second or third option. You mentioned. Well, we mentioned Zinedine Zidane, and then you you mentioned Antonio Conte was linked, Diego Simeone was linked, and they go and they get this uh, this French manager who obviously in in the French game has been brilliant, but potentially for fans who are not as, as involved in Liga as as others are, they may not know who who Christophe Gatier is. Of course, he managed the the Lille side that won the league uh, a couple of seasons ago, and that was a story that 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 people all over the world were following. But in terms of his track record. In European football, his time at Saint-Étienne, getting them back into, into European competition, his time at Lille, winning them Liga, and then, of course, his most recent season at Nice, in which they finished fifth, he 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 gets teams there. He he that, that That's where he's been throughout his entire, his entire career. He's, he's yet to manage a giant like this, to your point. And he, he strolls into PSG, and it's almost as if people look at him, and, 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 and as you said, it, he's looked as... as it's a failure on PSG's part on day one because they didn't go out and they didn't get a big fish. But also, is this a manager who can actually survive and float in a, an ecosystem like this one where there is so much going on, there is so much money being thrown around? And, and it's interesting because it's, it almost sounds as if you think that that's a situation that that helped Galtier stepping in. There were, there were I don't want to say little expectation, but he was being questioned from day one. Is that... Am, am, am I feeling that out properly? Do you think Galtier gets into to a system where he knows that maybe there there are doubts already, and he understands that that expectations could be a bit lower than for Zidane or for for Conte, and he's now playing off of that and and really really proving to everybody that he's he's a better option than what everybody thought he was. Hundred percent. I, th- I think he came in underrated, uh, and, and he and he knew that, and he knows that people are expecting him to. You know, to get walked over, walked all over by the Neymars, by the Messi, by the Mbappes, and to have to just say, you know, Tuchel, who's in my opinion is a tactical genius, said several times in the second year at Paris, my tactics are we press high, gegen pressing, we get the ball back, and then we just give it to Mbappe and Neymar, and they do whatever they want, and we know we'll be fine, which is a tactic, and when you have players of that caliber, it can work, but he got criticized a lot for that. Because the moment it doesn't work, everybody is going to think that you're too weak and that you're giving them whatever they want, which I'm sure is not the case, but that's how he was communicating it. So Galtier, when he came in, Galtier is a very smart guy. He, he knows what he's doing. Like you said, he took Saint-Etienne, almost relegated and brought them up to Europe. He took Lille, almost relegated post-Bielsa and brought them to the title. Nice was a bit of a half-half, but it was a complicated situation. <laughs> um, so he comes to Paris. He knows exactly what people are expecting. He hasn't coached in that environment, but he was assistant coach under um, under Perrin um, or another one, I can't remember. Anyway, in Lyon, um, the name right. will get back to me, and he followed that guy around. Um, he was playing for Marseille before, so he, he knows what a difficult locker room is. He's experienced enough to understand how it works. He's worked with Luis Campos forever, so he also understands what football is. So he came in that way. He played off that. And at the end of the day, he's a human being working with other human beings. And all those guys right now, Neymar, Messi, Mbappe, there's a short-term goal, which is the World Cup in three months. So he didn't go in there being like, we do it my way. He went in there and said, I know you want to win this. We're going to get you there. For you to win this, you're going to have to win every game with Paris because that's how you get 
prepare the best. So let's do that together. And I think he did that really well and, and we're seeing it pay off. And I think knowing that he was not expecting to be that good, he even shows up to press conferences and decides to talk about the tactics, which he's never done before at Nice and at Lille. He refused to, to talk about it unless, unless he was saying like, oh yeah, we defended too much, we'll defend less. Now he's talking about why he does the tactic that he does and, and what football he wants to develop. It's also, I'm sure, amazing for him that he can actually coach without any restraints. Um, and the test will come when, you know, he's, he's got too many players in his squad. So the test will come when he has to put somebody on the bench uh, and, and see who he's going to put on the bench. You know, the, the antics that Mbappé showed this weekend, if he was any other player in any other club, Galche would put him on the bench. So we'll see what he does. With this, he's also smart enough to, to work it out the right way. In the other clubs, in pre-season, I don't know if you remember, last year in pre-season with Nice, first press conference, he went and he said, if my players don't want to work hard enough, we'll finish eighth or ninth in the league. And it is what it is. If they want to actually play, they have to work harder. I'm disappointed. They're not good enough right now. I'm probably going to have to buy six, seven players. First press conference, a week and a half in the job. That's what he said. So he's not afraid of, of bruising a few egos. Obviously, the egos weren't the same that they are right now. If you say that about Mbappé, I don't know how he reacts. But I'm sure he'll happily go to that kind of conflict if he understands or if he knows or if he feels like it's better for the club and better for the player. He won't be afraid of doing this. And I, I think that's also why he's, he's respected in the local room. And that's an art, isn't it? That that not a lot of people acknowledge. That's an art for a manager to be able to encourage and motivate his players through the press, through the public, without ostracizing or alienating the best players in the locker room. It's an art. And you have to know how to do that, right? And, and, and again, coming back to this weekend, something happens, you see Mbappe walking off and not looking, and then everyone is talking about Mbappe mm -hmm. ask for Neymar to go, and, da, da, da. and Christophe Galtier comes to the press conference and I ask him the question, and his answer is, he wants to be the best player in the world. He missed a penalty. He missed a couple of passes. He's upset. I would be upset if I wasn't performing to the right way. He's doing things the wrong way. He'll learn from it. He'll be good. He wants to win. That's what he wants. We'll work together. He knows when to throw oil on the fire. And he knows when to calm everybody down because he needs to sort it out on his side first. And then, you know, the journalists are always going to talk. We're always going to talk. Uh, the press will always try and get stories that are half true. Even the friends of the player are probably going to try and leak stuff to 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 make a bit of world. Uh, but but he he's lived in that before. At Lille, it wasn't the easiest uh, climate as well with the owner that he had. So he is I, I trust him doing this. To be honest, in in recent years, it's probably the the best course that they have chosen because of his man management abilities, which I think is the main thing that needs him in a club like Paris. Right. And, and that, that's an interesting thing that, we're, that we're, we're saying that and agreeing with it, because I think two or three months ago, that might, just based on who, who was, was being rumored, that might not have totally been the case. I think if, you, if, you're, if you're inclined and understand French football well, you could look at that and say, well, maybe it'll go better than a lot of people think. Um, but it, it's been off to, to, to a flying start. And to your point, we can't, we can't draw any final lines in the sand after two league matches and one cup game. But still, the, the early returns have been, have been very, very impressive. Um, you also mentioned Luis Campos, which I think is, is an important point to touch on because this this summer roundup is not over. Obviously, the Mbappe contract was a big story. The, the Galtier signing was a big story. Um, but we, we've seen that Galtier and Luis Campos' impact 
right off the bat. Uh, this is a PSG side that speci- it's so easy to, to go back and, and talk about their their recruitment strategy last season with. I mean, where they were, and the one before, and the one before, and and yeah, control C, control V, rinse, wash, repeat. <laughs> but when last season's summer window for PSG, people were looking at that, and, and you know what? It, giving them the trophy I'll, I'll giving them the trophy already. Hand up, I was one of them. Like I was looking at that transfer window, and I said, "This has the potential." Lionel Messi, Akraf Hakimi, Gianluigi Donnarumma. Sergio Ramos, Sergio Wijnaldum, I, I, Nuno Mendes, which went under the radar. We, who, who ironically enough, is one of the best, the best players from that transfer window. Um, I looked at that window and I was like, this has the potential to be one of the best transfer windows that we've ever seen. And that wasn't like a bizarre, controversial take. That was like, a, no, you could be right. That, that That's a lot of really, really top players. Most of those players came in on free transfers. And it just, it just didn't and of course PSG won the league, but but it just it didn't work because I think I think PSG's goal, and I don't think this is in a controversial take, PSG always have their eyes set on the Champions League, on winning the Champions League. Um anything short of winning Liga by a comfortable margin is a failure. That that's written in the sand on day one when PSG begin their season is we'll win the league. Now let's focus on the Champions League. Um, and they didn't get close. They didn't get close to winning the Champions League. And that window, of course, we know how the Vinaldum stuff ended. The, the Vinaldum stuff hardly started. We know how it ended. Uh, Sergio Ramos in and out of, of, of the, the medical room with injuries. Lionel Messi was not was not good last year for, for PSG, particularly at the start. He was, uh, because of, of, of last season, he was left off the Ballon d'Or shortlist that was released a couple of days ago. First time since 2005 in his first season at PSG. It did not bring anything close to the returns that we were expecting it to bring. And this summer, lo and behold, perhaps they've learned from their mistakes, but their recruitment from this summer is very, very Galtier Luis Campos-esque. And it's, I want to get your take as, we'll dive into this analytically, but I want to get your take as a Marseille fan first, is you see PSG and you... Year over year over year, you're like, oh, they're just they're just splashing the big cash. They're bringing in in the the big the big fish for the big dollar. But now it seems with names like Vitinha, with names like Nordi Mukiele, with names like Ugo Ekitike, this is a team that's building for the the now and the later. Does that does that how how does that that rub you? This what they've done this window? Because dare I say it's been. It's been smart. It's been logical, which is not a word that we frequently use when we discuss PSG. That, that's true. To, to be honest, as as a Marseille fan and, and, a, and a French football fan, um, every year I've enjoyed their purchase because on paper, that could be amazing. When Draxler arrives, he's mm-hmm. off a flying season in, in, in Germany and he's potentially one of the guys who's going to become something. Kerrer, same thing when he first arrives. Um, when last year, when Sergio Ramos arrives, everybody thinks he's the missing piece. He, he's going to recover until February. In February, he'll be at the top of his game. And he's such a winner that he's going to tell everybody, this is how we win. Then Messi arrives. To me, when Messi arrives, that's when they break their chance at winning the Champions League. Because the whole dynamic of Mbappé is going to be the star of the show. We are building around him. Vinal, Doom, Ramos, Akimi, they're all here to make Mbappe's life better and Mbappe the star. The moment you get Messi, and 
you know that Qatar will get Messi because it's too important for everything else in football, then you're breaking something that you shouldn't have broken. So this is that was the feeling to, uh, of everyone last year. It's great that you have Messi, and if you're lucky, he's going to still make you win the Champions League and it's going to be great, but this is not the right move. Then obviously all these personal issues come in and he doesn't play well, um, so, so that's right. And then this year, like you said, the 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 recruitment is smart in the sense that they know what they were missing. They're still looking for another centre-back uh, and, and potentially an enforcer in the midfield because when Vitinha and, and Verachi aren't going to play, we don't really know who's going to, to play instead. Um, but they've they found the players that needed. They have Bernat to cover Nuno Mendes. It's great. They didn't have a, somebody to cover Akimina. They got Mukele and Mukele can also be the, the right centre-back. They need a striker up front, so they're going to look for that. But they have Ekichike, who's basically Mbappé 2.0. Um, maybe not as good, but the same kind of mentality <laughs> and way of playing football. Um, they, they found the players that they needed to plug in whenever they want to change. They found players so that Galtier, if he needs to change his system, he's got the players to be able to do it. Because last year, Pochettino is being given Nuno Mendes and he's being given Akimi. He doesn't want to play a 3-4-1-2. He doesn't want to play a 5-3-2. He, doesn't want to, he wants to play his 4-4-2. And those ones, those players aren't full-backs. They're wing-backs. So, so he's got players that work what he wanted to do. And they've recruited smartly that way, which is what you expect from Luis Campos and Galchi, but it's not what you expect from El Khalifi. And I think their, their luck is that Haaland was taken by Manchester City, that Lewandowski was just a year too old for Paris to actually put the money. Because I think otherwise, they would not have resisted. If a big name had been available the same way Messi was available last year, I don't think they resist. Be- already, they are like itching for a guy like Rashford. Uh, you know, I-, I don't know that for a fact, but in my opinion, what Qatar has been trying to do for the past three years is get a player from every single nationality that can potentially win the World Cup. So then their World Cup in Qatar, they can say, one of our players won the World Cup because it's all, you know, it's all a marketing coup for the past 10 years to be right. able to be ready for the World Cup, Paris Saint-Germain, in a way. Uh, so I think, like, that's why the rumor Rashford, I'm sure, came about because they need to have that. They have Donnarumma, they have Messi, they have Neymar, um, they have Sergio Ramos and, and they have Mbappé. They kind of covered all the favorites. Uh, so I, I think that's what they've always tried to do to make sure that they can bring it back to themselves once they win the World Cup. It's one of our players who won the World Cup in our country. Um, so, so I think that's what they tried to do. But this year, Luis Campos came about and said, maybe we can do that. But also, this guy, Vicinia, is one of the best midfielders of the generation. Get him in. If Verratti doesn't play, Vicinia is better or the same style of Verratti. Ekitike, don't let him go to Newcastle. They'll put the money. Get him mm-hmm. in. Maybe he doesn't play this year. But next year, if Mbappé wants to leave for 200 million, then we have this guy who can do it. And that's smart. That's surprising. You know, there was... I said that on a, on a different podcast and on my podcast before. Uh, there was definitely a world in France that passed the World Cup. Qatar would stop putting money in Paris Saint-Germain because their marketing coup was over. Um, all that recruitment kind of make people change their mind. Maybe they're going to stay in that for a bit longer. Um, but but it, it's smart. It's finally smart. The fact that they're recruiting smartly like this is encouraging other teams in France to recruit the same way. And so it's encouraging those talents to come in other teams as well. And I think it's going to actually finally make the league better. 
because right. the money is given to Reims. The money is given to, they couldn't get Chouamini, but the money would have been given to Monaco. And that helps the other team being better. And that is a great example for the other team because the other teams aren't looking at Paris thinking, you got Neymar for 200 million. I can't do that. So I'm not going to compete with you. They say, wow, you got Vitinha for only 40 or 60 or whatever it was. But he's a kid that you went to get in Portugal. Maybe we should go and find the next guy in Portugal that could be this good. And they try and follow this and then they can challenge them. Paris will only win the Champions League, let's say, often or at least challenge often if there's two or three teams in France that can challenge them all year. Otherwise, you know, it's like they play against under-19s every year, uh, all year. And then when come the Champions League final, they play against adults and they don't know how to do it. Um, so, yeah, so it was long-winded, but I think it, I think it's, uh, it's smart. It's encouraging for Paris. It's encouraging for the rest of Ligue 1 as well. Uh, it's just about hopefully they can keep that up for a, for a full season and not just pack the bags halfway through as soon as there's a bad result. Right. And I think like a lot, lot of, of, of really good, good points there that, that I want to try to circle back around on and touch on. But I think the, the big thing is, and you mentioned it uh, just now, is the influence that these signings can have on, on PSG are obvious. And I, like I... Vitinha is one of my favorite players on the planet. That guy was so, so much fun to watch in Liga Portugal. He's going to be, he's already been so much fun to watch at PSG. I think he's, he fits the profile of a player that can certainly succeed, obviously, in this PSG side, especially with a three defensive, uh, a three center back cover. I think that he's somebody who is, is a perfect fit for that shape. But I think the more important thing, which I didn't even, I didn't even think about, but but you, you've rightly brought up, is the influence that it has on the rest of Liga because like, it, it almost felt in, in in the last oh, 10 or 12 years or so that that the state of European football has evolved into we call it a, a big five leagues but it, it there there are times where it feels like a big four and also PSG because you you've got the the every other 19 clubs in Liga are just so clearly a step behind what PSG is doing and it's not a knock on them it's a it's 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 just that's the nature of PSG that, that that's what they are that's where they are that's that's how much money they have relative to everybody else that they compete against and I think it was a a a obvious side effect when it came to big Champions League ties is well if you've got PSG going and playing against Rams and Montpellier and and these sides that don't have anywhere close to that investment you're playing them all January all February all March and then you just show to the Bernabeu and play against the Real Madrid side that maybe played Sevilla last week. There's an obvious difference there in, in, in America. And, and, you know, we call it strength of schedule. The strength of schedule is not there for, for PSG in Liga. And so if that knock-on effect of we can go and we can make smart investment and we can bring in players. You're bringing in Vitinha for, for around $40 million, bringing in Nuno Mendes for a $9 million loan fee and $40 million this summer. I mean, those are not are uh, characteristically exorbitant numbers that we see PSG consistently doling out. Um, I think the other thing on top of that too is, is you talk about the, the, the impact of, of the free transfer market and how PSG exploited that a season ago. Those are still deals that th- those are PSG only. Those are Lionel Messi is not walking in and, and, and joining breast in Liga. That's just the nature of the beast. It, 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 that's not a de- if that does happen, hell is freezing over. That's just the nature of, of European football. And so, so PSG making these, these more realistic signings, your point, I didn't think about that has a knock on effect all the way down the ladder to teams that say, well, maybe this is 
the way that we compete with PSG. We don't pack it in and play for second. We, maybe this is actually how we can go out and play against them. Um, the other thing is, uh, and it actually has, compl- no, it hasn't completely slipped my mind. I thought it had. It, hadn't, it hasn't completely slipped my mind. Um, you mentioned PSG and how easy it, it could have been to go out and chase a Hollander or Lewandowski and how um, it, it almost uh, made it seem like these signings, not that they were second choice signings, but they were used as a, as a pivot from what they would have done otherwise gone and chasing those big fish. And, and, and you rightly point out, like they would have been tempted to go and make those signings. And we know that because they were tempted to go and make those signings. Their names were, were in those discussions, but I think that the thing with, with this window for PSG, and it's so important to point out is it's still, even without a, a Holland or without a Lewandowski, it still could have been very, very easy for PSG to see them go and still go and chase Lukaku at Chelsea or go and chase Pogba at Manchester United or or go and chase uh, a Delict at Juventus, who I think is going to be very, very good. But for that fee that he went to Bayern Munich is enormous. And is he worth it? At this point, probably not. Um, so so it still, I think, would have been very easy for PSG to go in and not maybe not get those 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 tier S, those Lewandowski, those Holland signings, but still gone and said, well, let's get somebody who's as close to that as we can find. And they didn't. And. I think they deserve a little bit of credit for it because it's been very, very smart investment. Um, let's talk about the the team, actually. Let's talk about, about how, how they play now because it really is fascinating. And we spoke about it before the call started is this is a PSG side that have not used a three-back, five-back system in a long, long time. And this is a coach in Christopher Gautier who is a 4-4-2 lifer. He, he has used 4-4-2 every step along the way. Um and, and I wanted to circle back around on this as well, because you pointed this out uh, uh, indirectly with Pochettino, is that he came in and he didn't want to use 3-4-1-2 or 3-4-3. Um, and that could have potentially been his downfall, because to your point, Nuno Mendes and Akaf Hakimi are not fullbacks, they're wingbacks. Is that the biggest difference for you between Pochettino, his two years, and now Galtier coming in and within the first three games? Is that the biggest difference for you so far between these two managers' PSG stints is Pochettino's rigidness and his 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 unwillingness to change his system, his his desire to force his players into his shape versus Galtier, who's very obviously uh, changing his ideals to what he's been given. Is that the biggest difference now between the two? For sure, for sure. it sounds like it sounds logical when we talk about it, right? It sounds like common sense when I when we right. saw what Pochettino was doing last year. Like as me me wearing my Marseille jersey, I loved it because. Pochettino had gold in his hands and he was like, he had, you know, a bunch of great squares and he was like, let's make them triangles. I'm sure I can make them triangles. Let me keep <laughs> pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing. I, I I just didn't understand because it's not like you don't have the talent. You had the talent. You can even put a young player as one of your back three. You got Marquinhos. Marquinhos is going to guide him. If the wing back are used the right way, they'll, they'll cover for what doesn't work. The team itself will work so much better that you'll be able to protect the one or two players that maybe aren't at the level that you want them to be. But he's done that once and twice, and, and then he stopped doing it. So, I mean, you know, we're not in the locker room. Maybe players complained. Maybe there was word that told him he can't do it, but it looked like he didn't want to do it. And what he did wasn't working so well. Like Paris Saint-Germain, even winning the league last year, were so disappointing football-wise. And I think it's probably seven or eight games that they win at the... 85th or 88th or 90th minute against against Metz, against Bordeaux, against teams that are not worth it, usually. Uh, it, it was very disappointing. Galchi came in, and, and again, the structure is better, 
the club looks healthier, he's backed up by Luis Campos, but he came in and he looked at his players and right, you're a defender that can play with three, you're a wing back, you're a midfielder, you can play this, we're going to play you where you're the best. Messi, you have no business being a right winger, you're a number 10, we're going to put you as a number 10. Even good choices like you could think Sergio Ramos should be the sweeper because of his age and experience, and you put Marquinhos on the right and a left-footed defender. They only have Kimeme right now, but you put him on the left. Even that, he said, no, 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 Marquinhos is the guy who's going to be the sweeper-keeper because he's faster. Sergio Ramos, excuse me, is going to be at the right because he's actually probably better than Marquinhos as far as ball progression and even his crosses, and obviously he can actually score in quite a, few, quite a bit. Uh, and then Kimpembe on the left, which I think is the piece that they're not convinced with yet, and they're trying to see if they can get Skriniar mm-hmm. or somebody else for him. But if he's there, he's still going to do the job. He, he's just playing to his strength, which is, again, common sense. You know, you're, no wonder that Pochettino didn't work out last year if you don't play your best player in their best position. Uh, if already they're struggling with their form, with their family, with their life, and then you play them out of position, you're just shooting yourself in the foot twice. So he's done the right thing. He's done the normal thing, I'd say. Um, and then it's just going to be about how long does it work for. And and until until the first game of the season, everybody was saying, doesn't matter how Paris Saint-Germain play, if you only have eight players defending, you can't win anything. First game of the season came, the, the Trophée des Champions, actually. And even the coach from Nantes talked to Neymar and was like, Oh, so now you defend as well. Uh, so he's he's done the right thing and he's also um, clearly getting his players to play into the system. Right. And I think to that point, that 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 can't win with, with eight players point, that's something that I find super, super fascinating about this PSG side now is not only has Gautier built a system where you you do have your, your forward players doing something out of possession, which is is the big knock on and and in today's football you you need I think it was it was it's a Cruyff esque ideology that is very very much as pertinent now as it was back in the eighties and nineties is your first line of defense is your forward group and if they're standing there if they're doing nothing um, in, in especially in, in today's football you you will not find success and that's one of the knocks on of many of, of Pochettino's PSG. Um, but I think what's what's really interesting about about this PSG system is that it seems, and again, it's very very early days, and this could very well be be completely in the mud. But 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 from what I've seen through 270 minutes of of, of regular season trophy uh, uh, tournament and and league football is, even if Messi isn't, or even if Neymar isn't, even if you do what you did last year and have have those attacking players sitting on shoulders and trying to to get forward even when the rest of the team is defending it seems like it's still a shape that could operate if if that's the case and it's because of having that extra defender it's because you're not you're not wasting a body you're almost adding a body because now out of possession you can set up in in a in a 5-2 block or a 4-3 block or a 3-4 block or however you want to do and again of course you're not going to hope that that those three attacking players are doing nothing for 90 minutes 
But if there is a circumstance where where maybe you're not dropping all the way back and sitting in a, in a traditional five three two like you would if you're you're playing with three at the back and wing backs forward or a five four one or if if those attacking players are late to come back, it still feels like a PSG team that that can be more secure and more structured out of possession even without. And that's a testament to what Gatia has done with these wingbacks. And that's that for me is is the the staple of this Gatia PSG early, especially given how those wingbacks got there. We, we've we already spoke at length about this transfer window that PSG had a season ago. And we've spoken at length about Messi. And we've spoken at length about, about Sergio Ramos. And we've spoken about Donnarumma and Vinaldum and Vinaldum not working. I know Hakimi was, was the big money signing from that window, but you can argue those are the four biggest names that PSG brought in, were, were the four that they brought in on freeze. But the two best players of that window, maybe Barlino Messi now, the two best players from that window are... Akraf Hakimi and Nuno Mendes, which are, are the two players who are, who are running up and down the wing. And it seems, you said it, it seems, it seems so logical. It seems like it just makes too much sense. Why are we only now seeing them play as, as wingbacks? Because we're finally seeing that, that free-flowing, masquerading Akraf Hakimi that we saw at Borussia Dortmund and, and Inter Milan. And we're finally seeing that version of Nuno Mendes that earned him the move to PSG from sporting in the first place. Like you're right, it's so logical. Why did it take so long? But this that that for me is what Gautier's PSG is, is those wingbacks flanking up and down the pitch. And we've already seen them create so many chances, especially when you've got the Messi's and the Neymar's and the Mbappe's kind of hovering in, in those central areas. Obviously Neymar with all the freedom in the world and and Messi to an extent as well. But you need that over on the flanks. I think you, you need those players who can sit in those spaces so you're not losing any width. I mean, it, how, how important are those wingbacks in your mind? Because you know, I've spoken about them. I love them to death. And any side that uses attacking wingbacks like that, like I just, I just fall in love with. Wingbacks as auxiliary wingers, are, it's, it's a love language for me when I watch a football match. But, I mean, those two players really have to be two of, very, very quickly, they become two of PSG's most important players, not named Lionel Messi or Kylian Mbappe. Yeah, they're, they're crucial, and, and they're crucial offensively and defensively uh, for all the reasons that you mentioned. As long as they are used the right way and, and that you have, obviously, the, the right players in there. But we know that they're talented. We know that they, they have very little flow. Like, the only flow would probably be that we've seen already. Probably be their defensive positioning when they have to be in the box uh, and when they're going backwards. That That's hard for them. But that's why you put three defenders behind them. So... They're crucial if you use them the right way, and, and that's what it does. And, you know, we, we said it early days. It was Clermont and Montpellier. But Paris Saint-Germain is leading in um, press in the attacking third. And they're leading by having 20 more press than Rennes in the attacking third. They're second in press all over the field behind Rennes because Rennes plays that way as well. But Galtier has managed to tell his players this is how we play. This is the players that we have. If you look at their shape in, in those first two games, the team, wherever they are on the field, the pitch, always have the right shape. It, it doesn't look out of position. Messi, offensively and defensively, is supporting the, the forwards. So even if he doesn't run and press as much as everyone, at least is where their number six of the other team would be. So at least he's still bothering the other team. There's no... No one is not working for the team. And that's what that's what any coach is judged by. You know, is your team collective power or is it just a sum of individualities? Gatche is building that 
with Nuno Mendes, with Arshaf Hakimi, and telling them what they can and what they can't do. When they can do something, Vicinia needs to do that. Verratti needs to do that. Sergio Ramos. And you can see that all those things against two weak teams are happening the right way. Last year, they would have just scored a couple and then wait for the other ones to run and it's just some counter-attacks. The first two games, they really went full force and, and almost probably wanted to make a, uh, a statement about what the, what the football was going to be. Yeah, uh, without a doubt, and I think uh, that, that there were uh, an important term that that we need to to distinguish that you mentioned is is team versus individuality because I think PSG won matches last year based on the individuality. It didn't it didn't look like a team that was operating under a structure that was operating under under two movements that you can do again and again and again. It seemed like it was Neymar and Mbappe and Messi's brilliance coming and showing against against defensive players that were in most times far inferior to three of the best players in of the generation. Um, and that's too, why I think those, those, those wingbacks diminish and, and the Hakimis are even more important is, is providing that with, I think one thing that we've seen and I've noticed, and I, I want to know if you've noticed it as well is we're seeing specifically Neymar operate with so much more freedom. He felt, not that he was restricted on under Pochettino, but if you look at, at the heat maps that, that Neymar fr- from the early matches here versus uh, a season ago under Pochettino, it just it feels like with those wingbacks able to provide the width and get into the attacking third, Neymar can kind of roam anywhere. And that's something that we spoke about um, on, on the podcast back in, in season one was this this Tite's Brazil and how it works now relative to 2018 because because of of the man wearing number 10 on his back it's it's Neymar and in 2018 the reason why Brazil flopped was just oh, among many there were several reasons why Brazil flopped in 2018 but one of them was just the insistence on keeping Neymar pinned on the left and running at a fullback and not giving him that freedom to operate it seems as if PSG are learning the same thing now and again not that he was as restricted last year as he was for, for Brazil in, in that World Cup window, but we're seeing him control things and operate with, with so much freedom. And and it, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful... Objectively. Objectively, it's a beautiful thing to see. He's He's been great the first three games. I, I don't think you can watch this game and not think that we were so Finally, the Neymar that like supposedly the, the came Neymar to Paris to exit the Messi shadow and win the Ballon d'Or. He's, that, that's him. That's the player that we want to see. We see the way he touches the ball. He doesn't flop and dives. Like, he's got the, the game against Clermont a couple of times. He got some pretty severe tackles on him. And he just kept running. This is what we need to see from supposedly the best player on the planet. We need to see him resisting those shocks, keep playing football, keep looking for the ball. The two wingbacks are removing the pressure from the fullbacks because the fullbacks are busy with the wingbacks. And Vitinha and Verratti are loving those diagonal balls to try and find Akimi. So all this gives the freedom to, obviously, Messi and Neymar to almost play... The first game, it looked like Neymar was a bit higher than Messi, but the game this weekend, it really looked like you had two number 10s and, and Mbappé playing probably a bit better, a bit more as a number 9. Um, they both have their little half space on the left and on the right, and they're able to, like you say, roam freely and go and help wherever, and then... They don't use that much energy having to put pressure on the fullback. Then they can use that energy to actually try and recover the ball or at least be into the right um, area when the ball is recovered. So I think all of this 
is linked. I think with Neymar, we, I'm always going to think, I'm assuming a few French fans are the same, how long is that going to last for? When Tuchel right. came in, Numa was a, Neymar was a genius for six weeks and a half, and and then he, and then he was over. So you know, depending on the groups that are going to have in Champions League, how long is he going to be able to keep that rhythm? If he has to play every three games, every three days, is that going to be able to do that? Obviously, that's also when we're going to see how good Galche is. Right, and I I I, I know we we chatted about it, but I'm fascinated to see this PSG in the Champions League as well. Just for for those exact same reasons <laughs> against against the teams that that have always been kind of their 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 thorn in the side. Um, we're approaching an hour, but I do want to touch on a couple more things before we before we officially take off. Um, I want to chat about about this this midfield shape, this midfield determination, this this midfield. The, these tasks that they're they're responsible for carrying out because you made a good point earlier in the podcast where uh, just speaking about what PSG could still be looking to acquire one of the things you said was a bigger stronger body in midfield obviously Virginia and Verratti are both very very skilled in progressing the ball in in switching play in moving the ball at the pitch and ultimately creating chances but neither one of them is is much of an, an enforcer, for lack of a better word. I think that's, I think that's such a cliche term in, in, in football because it could mean so many different things. But in the sense of what PSG have, they don't have that one midfielder who, who can sit and, and, and screen and win the ball back and, and bully, essentially. Um, and I think that's, that's with this Vitinha and Verratti pairing, that's the nature of it. And I think part of that is offset by the fact that they've got three center backs. So... Essentially, as you mentioned, Ramos can can sometimes step up. Marquinhos formerly played as a defensive midfielder. He can step up. So it's not completely bare when those two midfielders advance up the pitch. But still, it, it's a situation that I think Galtier would like to avoid if possible is bringing in a, a player who can play in midfield along with those three those three center backs. Um, I Before this, this podcast began, I thought that player could have been Renato Sanchez, who they brought in already. Um, he just in terms of, of of sitting a bit deeper, progressing the ball a bit further. Um, you made it sound as if PSG don't have that player yet, which is interesting to me. Do you have a, a certain profile of who that person could be? I think what they're after doesn't exist anymore. It's Thiago Mota. You know, this was their model. Thiago Mota Verratti was the midfield that works the best in in Paris, and this is the midfield that you see working Liverpool via Fabinho. Um, City doesn't exactly play that way, uh, but but having someone who's a bit more, a bit stronger, uh, who's a bit more focused on the defensive tasks, but who can still bring the ball up. Chouameni would have been a good example right. of that because he, he doesn't mind getting stuck in it. I I agree with you with Renato Sanchez, and and I and I know I discussed that before on the pod, and I remember somebody um, vehemently disagreeing with what I was saying. Um, that he he's that player in the sense that he's he's aggressive wherever he is. What I think though, and and, I, and we saw it this weekend, is Renato Sanchez is coming in to be relieving Neymar or relieving Messi to be playing a little bit higher rather than to focus to play low. What they have with Vitina and Verratti is enough against any team as long as they have the ball. Right. When they're going to play against Man City, when they're going to play against Liverpool, Bayern Munich, maybe Barcelona if they play to where they're supposed to play, um, they're going to need to find something else. That something else could be Leandro Paredes if he doesn't go anywhere because he's got um, 
just just the way to defend the right way and to focus on defending sometimes more than on playing pretty football. Uh, potentially, you know, if if Gay wasn't going anywhere, could have been the guy, but they want to get rid of him. Um, what's his name? Um, the Portuguese um, midfielder that came last year as well at the last minute. He'll get back to me. Um, oh, uh, Danilo. Danilo is is somebody who can do that just because he's physically imposing, but he, I think he lacks in technicality. But but I think there's also a bit of a misconception in Verratti's work. Verratti like to defend as a very good football IQ can anticipate. We've just have never seen him playing more than 20 games for 60 minutes a game. Um, so if he was going fit, he's a player who can do this. And Vitinha definitely enjoys the effort. So mm-hmm. if those two players are making this effort defensively consistently, they might not need the other role. But I feel like if you completely decide to not have that other role, you're removing an option when you're going to play against the team that you can't dominate. There will be moments in the season where the, your whole squad is not going to be in the right form to be able to dominate. At that moment, you will want a player like this. So if I don't think there's a, a player that I can get now that we know, uh, but they might get a youngster to actually do this, or they might, like I said, reintegrate one of those players that they supposedly are trying to sell uh, to, to do a bit of that role. With the way the team is now, I think if Vitinha Verratti are the midfield the whole year, I think they can do that. I'm pretty like Verratti for all the criticism. He's he's a bit of a he's a bit of a, um, a mean midfielder. You know he's he, he he's going to get your your ankles. He's going to push you. He's going to be on your way. We've seen it. We've seen it in France at least every time he plays against against Marseille. He's not afraid of getting stuck in it. Um, right. But we haven't seen him playing full season in in eight years. Uh, so, so I, th- I think they have it. I'm fairly certain they're looking still for that central midfielder and that central defender to avoid the moment where they lack of form. Because to me, Kim Pembe is the main issue in there. But yeah, to avoid that, I think they're still looking for those two positions. And they say also um, publicly, they say that they're looking for those two forwards. Yeah, that, I think that that's an important an important line to draw is that with with. Vitinha and Ferrati are, are a very, very nice pivot with the ball. But when you've got 65, 70% possession, and when you lose the ball, you'll win it back right away. When you play a team where you maybe you're getting 40, 45% possession, 50% possession, that's where you need you need that player to win the ball back and to to be the the, the metronome in midfield and to be the one that that they so they can't just slice you like a butter knife and rush straight through you. Um definitely, definitely an important distinction to make. One final point. Uh, as we're approaching an hour. Which means that that we timed this thing out pretty well. Um, so we, we've spoken about this this new look new look PSG again. So cliche new look, but that's what they are. It's a new look PSG. Um, this new look PSG. Th- this this new shape. These new players. These same players who are in new roles who look like new players. Um, and we keep coming back to it's good for Liga, but it's good for the Champions League. What is how where how do you see this season progressing for PSG? What what. When we come back and inevitably chat about this in May, when you do the Castellania season in review, how will you be discussing PSG when the season is all said and done? Depends who wins the World Cup. How so? To, to me, this season is such a, a, a weird season. It's two seasons. There's Everybody is ramping up for the World Cup. Everybody is getting ready right. for November. And when I say everybody, Messi, Neymar, Mbappé, basically. <laughs> 
because it's Messi's last World Cup, because it could be Neymar's last as well, um, and because Mbappe wants to win everything. When it comes to World Cup, we've seen it last year with Salah at Liverpool. When you play a tournament like this with your country and something wrong happens, the influence on the rest of your season is immense. It's huge. So if a guy like Messi goes all the way to the final and, I don't know, gets red carded in the final or misses the penalty or something like that, then he, he won't care about the second part of the of the season. If a guy like Neymar gets hosted of the World Cup at round of 16 and, and completely misses his World Cup, it's going to be really hard to re-motivate the guy. So to me, what happens after the World Cup is a completely different season. All the motivations are different. Messi supposedly is going to Miami next year after the summer window. So technically, once the World Cup is over, why does he care about what he's going to do for Paris? He's already won everything in his career. Uh, Mbappé, technically, if things doesn't work out, then somebody will buy him for $100 million. Um, and Neymar kind of the same thing. So, so to me, it's it's a real, real unknown entity. And Galche's real work starts in January. The World Cup is played. I think it finishes what December 15 or something like that. On the 28th, we have the next uh, Ligue 1 game. I'm sure that everybody who's played the World Cup until um, at least the final won't be back then. They'll be back maybe mid-January. Um, so it'll be a whole new season, a whole new preparation, a whole new re-motivating everyone and, and making them buy, uh, buying again, which is where I think that that recruitment this year is that smart because Vitinha mm-hmm. will come back and play. Ekitike will be a beast in the second part of the season if you need him to be. Uh, and so I think that they, I hope that they've anticipated that. Their defense will be fine. The midfield will probably be all right. The two on the wings, no issue. To me, it's Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe. But if you got a guy like Ekitike behind, if you keep a guy like Sarabia, you've kind of covered yourself as far as Ligue 1, and at least you only have to motivate those guys for, for the Champions League. But it's it's every year I say that at the beginning of the season, it's the year. It looks right. like they've done the work, and it looks like it's the year that they can win the world, the Champions League. And if they miss it this year, they're going to work to have to work so hard to rebuild it again for next year. So this year, it looks like it's the year because Messi looks like he's in form. If Messi wins the World Cup, they're winning the Champions League and Messi gets another Ballon d'Or. No no questions, because he's going to be in such a, uh, a hype and, and in such a high that he will want to to show how great he is by just keep winning, keep winning, keep winning. Uh, so right. yeah, to, to me, this is the great unknown, what happens in Qatar. And it, it's a really good point to make, especially when you're dealing... like uh, that. That's... That's obviously something that every club will be dealing with. Like every every club in contention for the big trophies will have players in Qatar, and some of them inevitably, because it's the nature of single limited cup competition, some of them will come back disappointed. Some of them will come back heartbroken. Um, but I think it's a good point to make, especially for PSG, just because you've got a player in Neymar who, in, in past months and years, has looked disinterested in club football. It seems th- there there's there's been rumors that he was going to retire from club football at the end of last season. Now, how how true were they? I think you're probably pretty close to zero percent true, but still. The fact that it's even being floated um, is, is is an interesting sign. Somebody who might only be be playing club football to keep himself fit for for the Brazilian national team is it true? Probably not. But again, we're, we're we're chatting about it. And then of course a player like Messi, who's this is his last World Cup window, and he he wants nothing more than to win the World Cup with Argentina, who's gotten so close in the past. Um, 
I think PSG for sure it's a it's a, an interesting dis- distinction to make in, in two separate seasons is I, I it's it's again it sounds like something that's being said a lot that's being used a lot but like it's because it's true it's because we're getting the first four months it's a sprint to to Qatar and then the World Cup ends and then it's it's all the rest and it's going to be so fascinating and there's going to be a tournament plucked right uh, right in the middle of it. Jeremy, before we before we sign off, would you like to go ahead and, and pluck uh, uh, shame, shamelessly plug where where everybody can find you on Twitter, in, uh, social media, everything? Yeah, Jeremy Magan is the is the Twitter, um, and the the podcast is Casale Line. Of course, if you just go on on Breaking the Lines, um, you, you'll find them. Uh, feel free to go and you to listen. Please, please ask some questions. Uh, I try to always have some, some guests on. Baptiste from, from Le Classic Pod is one of my regular guests and I'm recording uh, the, the podcast about round two tomorrow to, to discuss about um, probably what we've just talked about with Paris and, and also all the other clubs. Um, but yeah, thanks again for having me, Will. Um, great, great podcast that you're uh, hosting there and, and I was glad to be part of it. We will, uh, we will for sure do this again soon. This was fun. All right. Post-production will here once again. Um, before I, I even jump into a close, I would like to reiterate one more time, Jeremy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Lots and lots of fun. Um, we will do this again soon when PSG inevitably flame out in the Champions League quarterfinal and we have to discuss what went wrong. We will we will uh, get your name in Sharpie on the calendar for that inevitable episode. Um, we chatted for over an hour, that conversation between Jeremy and I, and it could have gone on for three or four more. There is so much to talk about when discussing PSG in the year 2022-2023. So many just intriguing, neat, jaw-dropping storylines that uh, you can you can attack from so many different angles. And we knocked out a few, didn't get to, to drop any Vitinha prop. For those of you who listen to the Tactics Room closely a season ago, you know that I've got those players. I, I've got those individuals who anytime I can insert propaganda, I will. And I'm I'm very front-facing about that. I acknowledge the, my, my shortcomings in that sense. Um, on a more serious note, again, this was so, so much fun. Love this conversation. If you want to find Jeremy anywhere on uh, on social media, check out his Twitter at Jeremy underscore Magan, M-A-G-A-N. Also, check out the podcast he hosts on BTL, Casa de Línea. Again, summarizing everything going on in French football, Liga. It's a really, really exciting and also, let the record show, uh, knowledgeable podcast. You'll learn a thing or two. Nothing wrong with that. Go and make yourself smarter today. Go and listen to Casa de Línea with, with Jeremy. Also, go ahead and follow BTL on anywhere you can find us really at btlvid on twitter at breaking the lines underscore on instagram and the new account at breaking underscore lines on tiktok also be sure to check out every other podcast under the btl microscope we've got of course cortalinas with our co-founder zach about portuguese football uh, aria di Riore is about italian football there's so many podcasts that btl have got and you gotta go listen to every single one of them i don't make the rules i only enforce them um, that should do it for this episode of the Tactics Room. Again, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next week for season two, episode two. Not sure at all what will be discussed, but we got to wait for the weekend to come and go. Pick out some storylines once uh, once they show themselves to us. You'll be sure that uh, season two, episode two will be a good one. But until then, my name is Will Fowler. Thank you so much for listening. You have been listening to the Tactics Room podcast presented by Breaking the Lines.